Awesome. All right, thanks, Anthony. And um, yeah, a real quick personal disclaimer for me is I have a hereditary disease. It's like a tremor disease. So like extreme circumstances, my hands get really shaky and I can't control it sometimes. So if I like fumble or drop something, I just, I'll just live into it, don't worry. I just wanted you to say it, cause it's like awkward cause you're like, he's so nervous. Yeah, I am like equally nervous as I'm excited, <laughs> but like it is, it intensifies when I have to, when I preach or teach or step into like new situations. So if it's awkward, I'm sorry, but it'll be okay. Um, yeah, thanks, Anthony. And I'm glad that my first uh, message today in preaching to you, I can kind of hit on some like strong cultural idols. We're talking about a money series. And so I'm appreciative that only positive feedback. So as I push onto your hearts and challenge you guys that I'm glad that you won't look at me negatively. So that's going to be great. Um, but what I want to start with is um, just like a little bit personal story leading into the messages. Uh, becoming a pastor for me has been quite an adventure. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. Um, it was actually when I was 21 years old, I'm, I'm walking to a bar and this 16-year-old kid stops me on the street and he starts talking to me about Jesus and he tells me who Jesus is, what he has done, and what that means for me. So in that moment, that night, I, I confess my belief in Jesus and I prayed to accept him as the savior of the world. Um, a lot happened since then. Fast forward eight years, and um, I'm trusting God to move to Arizona to finish my degree at the best school in Arizona, Bear Down U of A. <laughs> um, sorry, all you lumberjacks. NAU's great. I love you. Um, so I moved to the U of A, um, but the thing up to this point in my life, uh, being a Christian for about eight years, I made decisions, and then I would ask God to bless those decisions, invite him into what I was doing after I'd already made the choice. I was a master in control of my own life, who is believed in God. Um, so as I started at the U of A, I actually met this campus ministry called the Navigators, and that's the first time I had one-on-one -on -one discipleship and was taught what it meant to pursue God and develop a personal relationship and trust him with my life. Um, so as I'm getting ready to graduate, instead of just applying and going to med school, I paused and I invited God to be the master of my life, and I submitted to him and asked him, what do you want for my life? What do you want me to do post-college? And that's where he was so clear to, to open this door and be like, step into full-time ministry. So I applied to the Navigators College Ministry Program, got accepted. Uh, they gave me some training. I fundraised my salary for two years and spent two years at Arizona State University. Um, so I've been at every single large Arizona State school for a significant amount of time. I don't know what that means or why, but it's a cool fact. Um, and in that time, I was also interning at our local church, um, and I was able to, God used me to plant and start this thriving college young adult ministry, and eventually they offered me a pastoral role to be the pastor of college young adults. Um, and it was also in that time when I was on staff of the church that um, there was a need for uh, a kid's pastor. So what happened was they hired this very outgoing 
talented, gifted leader uh, named Jacqueline, who about six months later, our lead pastor had uh, winged, wingmanned her up, and we started dating, uh, eventually got married. Um, and, then what, and then obviously pandemic hit, we had some weird church leadership happen, we had some hurts happen to us personally, so we decided to take a break from pastoral positions to just kind of rest and need a season of reprieve. So we started attending and um, getting healing through Redemption Tempe. Um, and then out of the blue, I get this email. And it was, there was no description in the email. It was just an attachment of the Redemption Flagstaff pastor of care and communities role. And I was like, ooh, this is like one of my dream pastor roles. This really fits me. I love Flagstaff. Um, what do you think, Jacqueline? So we started praying immediately, and we had no, no, not on the radar to move to Flagstaff or anything. So we prayed, uh, started talking with Anthony, applied, and then uh, Jacqueline applied to NAU, and immediately they just recognized her for her um, certain heartedness, her orientation to people, love on them, and her leadership, and they, they were so quick to offer a job that we ended up uh, moving up in July, and then about a couple months later, Anthony finally came to his senses, and he's like, wait, you guys are here? Like, I don't know what this means, and we're like, dude, come on, we know what this means. Um, so he offered us the role, and we accepted. Um, so honestly, joining the Redemption Flagstaff family has been awesome. It's been such an honor, such a privilege, and we've been felt so loved by you guys, so well received, and even as I've been like pushing buttons and pushing back, trying to make changes, it's like everyone's been really encouraging. Um, so I'm super excited to be able to speak and preach and step into this and, and just co-pastor with Anthony um, and, and be one of your pastors here. So thanks for receiving us um, and thanks for just being so faithful to Jesus. Um, this morning, um, how this is going to go is we've been in this series called Rich Toward God. It's Jesus' teaching on how to steward money. Um, but as we step into the passage this, this morning, just making a disclaimer is Jesus kind of steps away from money to look at how time, relationships, talents, how we are just stewards of the things he provides us. So this morning, even though money is deeply related and interconnected to our relationships, to our time, to our talents, to our careers, we're not necessarily going to focus directly on money. And so as we read this passage, there's three Three key themes that I want to focus on and dig into this morning, and then I'm going to read the passage, we'll pray, and then we'll break those themes down. These three themes are, one, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Master. As his followers, we are stewards or managers of his, his stuff, his household, his things. Two, as his stewards or his managers, Jesus gives us time, and time is a gift, and we are to steward it or manage it responsibly. The third theme we see is, um, and this is a harder thing we'll get to, is Jesus offers a very harsh and stern warning at the end to abusive stewards, but he gives hope to those who have been abused by stewards. So let me pray. Father God, we just thank you for... Um, 
for loving us, Lord God, for trusting us as stewards of your creation. Lord God, as we step into your word, your word, Lord, would you help us receive the identity you've given us as stewards of your, your things, of your world, Lord God, and would you help us to be responsible managers of all things, Lord God, and, and not just Redemption Flagstaff, Lord God, but the other churches, the body of Christ in Flagstaff, Lord, would you lead us to a place where we could all be stewards of your resources and be a witness and a light to the city of Flagstaff and just be a blessing to this city. Lord God. We thank you for this time. We thank you that your word is sufficient to form us to be truly human, Lord God. So I just pray that your word would just seep into our hearts, Lord God, and shape us and help us to uh, follow you, to love you, and, and to know you more, Lord Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read this ent entire section, and I'm just going to work through the teaching of each theme. Um, it's a little bit longer, so stay with me here. So Luke 12, 35 through 48 is the whole passage. Jesus says, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whom, whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready even if he comes in the middle of the night or to the, toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asks, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant say to himself, my master has taken a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready for or does not do what the master wants, will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Um, so you see these three main themes come out, and especially the end, it's a really hard passage to look at, but I think it's really going to bring hope and give us understanding of what Jesus calls us into. But the first theme for us to unpack this morning is Jesus' teaching those who are following him, his disciples, that they are not to live as masters, but instead live as faithful stewards. 
So commonly in ancient Near Eastern culture, the, the people who were wealthy would have multiple servants. They'd have men and women who served in their household, cared for their possessions, their animals, managed their resources for them. It was very common, but it was, it was probably quite few people who were that wealthy. However, the master of that household or whoever the wealthy person was would give one of the servants a responsibility to oversee all the other servants. This servant was the steward or manager. So it's a very, it's quite a specific task. It's, it's like a gift. It's a responsibility being given to this, uh, this steward. Um, so again, a steward is one of these servants who's given, been given responsibility to act as the master and oversee the other servants of the household. So Jesus' parable, what he's doing here is he's giving this imagery of God um, who's the creator and owner of all things. He's giving this imagery of his original intention and design in Genesis when he, he says, here, care for and steward my creation. So Jesus is re-illustrating that original intention of God to use these parables to show, hey, we are called as his followers to be stewards of his stuff, his household. Um, and, and Jesus, he was deeply shaped by this, his story, the story of Israel, and he was really aware and well-read and understood the Old Testament scriptures. So he w- he's trying to reframe what the scriptures had to reform his disciples to follow him faithfully. Um, so as humans, in this Genesis command, we, we being made in the image of God, We've, we're given this identity of, as a steward to receive. Um, and this is a gracious gift of God to be given identity. However, as we are listening to this now, as Christians in the modern Western world, we need to stop. We're, uh, some of you may have some Jewish heritage or be Jewish, but most of us are Americanized, Westernized people. That's our culture, that's what we're born into. This is what's the world we live in, and, and we can accept that culture. So we need to pause, and we need to understand a little bit more of the American story, and that the American story tells us, actually, that we are masters. You are not a servant or a steward. You are a master of yourself. You are a master of your life, you're a master of your money, you're a master of your time, you're a master of your body, you're a master of your relationships, you're a master of your choices, of your careers. You are master of all things. This is what our, our culture is telling us. Um, so if, if we look at our Western culture, we see that as Americans, we share a deep conviction. This conviction is that oneself or ourselves have ultimate autonomy and we overemphasize the, the significance of individuals. Um, let me say that again. We are shaped by our Western story and our American culture to share a deep conviction that ourselves have the ultimate autonomy and overemphasize the significance of individuals. Let me pause real quick. That's um, a really hard statement to hear as individuals. I'm not saying, what I want to be clear is God individually knows us, gives us characters, highlights and enjoys us as individuals. However, our culture says the individual has the ultimate authority and autonomy over everything, where we as Christians say, no, God does. 
So it's, we need to, I'm not saying we, we dismiss individuals. I'm just saying our culture has ultimatized the individual and, and we need to put God as the ultimate source and person in, in all things. And so let me give you a few examples of how this um, overemphasis on the individual shapes us, forms us, reinforces this nature in us. Um, how about this quote? I think, therefore I am, says Descartes. So a few hundred years ago, he makes this claim. He says, I think, therefore I am. That statement has shaped our education, our philosophies, science. It's all based on whatever we think that is what we are. So we can shape our own selves, we can shape our lives, our nature, and everything. Um, how about in the topic of sexuality and sanctity of life? You hear this phrase, my body, my choice. Our stories, the stories we hear as in, in the US, this dominating theme, like if you watch any action movie, you see one single hero is able to topple governments, like the most best, I mean, let's look at John Wick, like that is so, it is such a like captivating movie, but one individual is able to like move through a corrupt mafia, through cartels, to be the single hero on their own. So this idea of overemphasizing individuals is deeply reinforced. How about um, any of y'all, Miley Cyrus, her, her new song, Flowers? Let me read the lyrics to you. I can't sing at all, and I would try, but Jacqueline would hate me. She, you know, she, <laughs> she doesn't like my voice that much. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, I learned that in marriage. She's like, you shouldn't sing to me. I was like, oh, I thought my voice was great. It's terrible. Um, I can't sing, and I'm okay with that. Um, so she, th here's the lyrics. I can buy myself flowers, write my name in the sand, talk to myself for hours, say things you don't understand. I can take myself dancing, I can hold my own hand. Yeah, I can love me better than, yeah, I can love me better than you can. Can love me better, I can love me better, baby. Can love me better, I can love me better than you can, baby. Can love me better, I can love me better, baby. Can love me better. That is, that is one, her chorus. So just imagine as people are listening to this song, as it climbs to the top of the charts, we hear it over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's shaping us to think, I can love myself better. I can, love my, I can do it better. I can love myself more. So we, we are in a culture that shapes us to believe this in ourselves and about ourselves. Then, as we step into the church, uh, sorry, Johnny, I know this isn't your fault, but um, our, our Christian music, if you were to count the lyrics of the most popular songs, count I, me's, and my's every time you sing, and then compare that to how often we say, God, we, ours, Christ, any name for God, and you'll see this huge significance of what it, like the personalization and the ultimate authority of ourselves carry into even our Christian life. Um, so the very work of sin is to turn people's focus, uh, our affections, our worship from God to ourselves, giving us this false identity as masters. So the very idea of individualism erodes the biblical reality that God is the master, that God is the creator, and that we as humans are his creatures. We, as part of his creation, we were made to worship. All people made in his image were made to worship. 
Whereas sin, it distorts this worship of God to become worship of ourselves. And we take control and we look inwards and we try desperately to control our lives. So if we believe in Christ and are renewed in the Holy Spirit, how do we relinquish control? How do you take on the identity of a faithful steward? Um, about 500 years ago, um, all the people, the scientists, just all, everyone agreed that the center of the universe was the earth. All other celestial bodies rotated around the earth. This really insane guy, his name was Nicholas Copernicus, he made this absurd claim. He said, I don't believe the earth is the center of the universe. I believe the sun is the center and all the planets revolve around the sun. This wild, right? You're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> In that time, that was dominating. He, he was like the, one of the few people to promote this idea and look at it. Obviously, we know he's right. Um, so we, today, we need this Copernican revolution of faith as the church. So in a culture that believes individuals are at the center of their own universe, we, as Christ followers, we need to witness to the reality that, that God is the true center of our lives in the universe. And then through salvation in Christ, we can reorient ourselves to Christ in the center and, and look at God as the master, Christ as our master in the true center. This same God, he's orchestrating all things and invites you to participate in his redemptive story. In the beginning, God offered his creation to people to care for it and steward it. Will you receive his gift and take on your true identity as a steward, not a master? Will you receive his gift and take, on your, uh, take this on, take on being a steward as a manager? So as we, as Redemption Flagstaff, repent from being masters of our lives, master of our resources, our time and our money, we need Jesus to show us how to be faithful servants. And so this is where we move to unpack one of the, the second key themes in, in here where Jesus is talking about time and readiness and being prepared. Um, and so Jesus is teaching his disciples that they need to steward their time, being ready and watching for their master to return. So Jesus teaches his followers to live as though they were expecting his return at any moment. So in this parable, as the steward is given responsibility over the master's household in his absence, that same steward is anticipating the master's return, and they use their time to manage the household well. So this idea, again, Jesus is reshaping, trying to reframe a new teaching so they can understand it. Um, so his followers will be prepared, they'll steward their time well, and they'll be expecting his return. Even so much so Jesus wants to emphasize it, he uses a second parable describing a thief breaking and entering at an unknown time. However, what he says is, if the owner knew the exact time the thief was coming, he would have been prepared and he would have prevented that burglary. So with these parables, Jesus is preparing his followers to become faithful stewards, ready and watching for his return. How, um, yeah. So the expectation Jesus gives to us as his followers is a promise of his return, 
ushering in the complete and final redemptive work of all things. Yet, this time is unknown to anybody. And I know some people try to say, I know it's 2012. 1999 was the time it was going to end. People try to say they know the time, but Jesus so clearly always is like, we don't know the time, only the Father in heaven knows. So we trust God when he returns, we'll be ready. That's all we need to care about. Um, so we need to look at Jesus and how he modeled, how he lived this life so we can live like him. And so if we look to him, and the way we then steward our time reflects our readiness and expectation of his return. And then, so if we are honest with ourselves, we will evaluate what and where we give our time to, and we can use that as an indicator of how well we steward our time. Um, and I want to use two examples, and they are focused on like TV, media, and um, yeah, of just like digital content. And I know some people are like really good at that and they're like, oh, I don't do that. So these are just two examples because we, we accept we live in an American culture. So one, this, this teaching is for us for conviction, but also to witness to the world and to understand who our neighbors are. So on the average, in a 24-hour period, the average American spends about 489 minutes a day consuming digital media. So every day, we are spending eight hours and 15 minutes consuming digital content. So just to break this down a little bit, of that eight hours and 15 minutes, two hours and 15 minutes is spent on social media, and an hour and 15 minutes is spent on subscription-based um, services like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, like that stuff. So every single day, we are giving about three and a half hours to consume movies, TV, and social media. And I do wanna just say, these things aren't bad. Um, it's not bad to watch a show, to relax for a little bit, to watch a movie, to check to see what your homies are tweeting. But, um, but if we're giving so much of our time and it's so normal just to like binge watch like hours and hours of movies, like I fall into this trap all the time. I'm like, oh, I got a day off. Like I'll watch the whole, you know, we got snowed in. I watched every single Fast and the Furious movie there was. I'm like, these movies aren't that great, but like, why do I keep wanting to do this? Um, so it's a hard thing. It's just like so normal for us. So it's not that these things are bad, but we have to just recognize like, what are we stewarding? How are we stewarding it when we just give so much of our time to these things? Um, so instead, as we're consuming this excessive amount of uh, digital media, instead of living out our identity as stewards, we've been seduced by the American dream. We use our time to find happiness, find our own purpose, find our identity, and find our own fulfillment in the things of the world. So whether that's in our jobs, whether it's in school, whether it's in our sports, uh, whether it's in our video games, our relationships, uh, the deception of this American dream is the promise that we, if we give more and more and more of our time to acquire these things and give ourselves to these things, they will give us life, they will satisfy our needs, they will meet our desires. We need this to experience this Copernican revolution of faith. We need God at the center of our lives. So as we look to him, the one who meets our needs, he gives us purpose and he shapes our true identity as humans. 
So in turn, we can praise God and we can give thanks to God for the gifts of social media, for these movie series that come out, for the stories that we hear, um, for our music, for popular culture. We can give thanks to these, but we know their rightful place. So our perspective transforms to receive these as gifts. Then we can faithfully steward our time. So as we center our lives on Christ, we no longer are seduced by this false promise of the American dream, but we live for the reality of the kingdom of God in the present now. So as followers of Jesus, we are ready for him, we are prepared, and and we live accordingly. And we can faithfully steward our time. So as we faithfully steward our time, um, we receive this time as a gift from God. We then can use it responsibly. And like to help illustrate this, like all of life and time, let me, there's this cool thing we used to do in the navs with a pie chart. So typically we have a pie chart, you know, it's a big round chart. It's all broken up into different chunks. Here's my work. Here's my play. Here's my reading, this, that. You, you fill it out for your life. And we see, oh, nice, this is your life. As good Christians, we have a slice of the pie, you know, maybe an hour and a half a week. We're like, I go to church. I, th- I read my Bible. I prayed. I did a small group. I got three hours of my life in there. This idea, what I keep saying is Copernican revolution. Imagine reorienting this pie chart to in the middle put Christ as the center. Then your life, you don't put a separate slice for church and God, but you put a slice, every slice of your work, your friends, your family, your hobbies, they all intersect and come from the center. So God then infiltrates the center in all things in your life. And we can recognize that the Holy Spirit promised and poured out and given to us who indwells us is present in every single moment of our reality. Um, And so viewing that pie chart is, is I think, just such a helpful illustration, especially if we are going to live out this claim, all of life is all for Jesus. And what this then does as well is this, this life and identity we take on, this provides a desperately needed witness to your families, to your classmates, to your coworkers, to the people around you. They'll be attracted to this way of life that isn't just given to all things, um, which provides us these opportunities and invitation to proclaim this good news, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. So as we accept and we receive these teachings, we, we receive our identity as stewards who manage our time well, we need to then continue in this passage and step in to understand Jesus' harsh words at the end of this passage um, as we're reading it. And if you want to reread it later, I encourage you to. But what he says of the, the unfaithful manager, he says, I'm going to cut him up. And then he goes on to say, I'm going to beat him down and throw him out. So whoever knows the master's will and doesn't do it gets a harsh beating. Who doesn't know the master's will just gets a light beating. Um, And honestly, as I was like, uh, I'm like, oh, my first time to preach and stuff, I'm like, 
I'll probably put that to the side and focus on this other stuff, right? Because it's like, usually we'll read that and we'll be like, oh, Jesus is, is a pacifist. He's, he's a nice guy. He's the son of God. There's grace involved. Like this, we just, we kind of don't have a frame for that. So we pass it pretty easily, pretty quickly. But I think honestly, as I prayed and just asked the Lord, like, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to teach and how do you want me to come on this Sunday, then speaking with other pastors, and even what I think struck me the most is, is meeting with people in our church, in this body, and hearing stories of how many people have been hurt by the church, how, how many of our family have been hurt by the church. And so I think, honestly, I was like, we need to step into this a little bit, and we need to take it on. Um, so my first disclaimer, um, I'm not trying to gaslight anyone here. Like, I'm not trying to dismiss or justify any abuse that happens within the church or any abuse in general. Um, so I don't, that's not the message coming across. <clears throat> but tragically, it's common for church leaders, staff at church, pastors, church members, and other people that claim to be Christians that believe in Jesus to steal from the church, to be involved in sexual abuse or sexual misconduct, to abuse their positions of power and authority. It is common for us to see abusive stewards of God's household in, in the church today. And one, one statistic, um, you know, more, there's more money embezzled from the church yearly than goes to um, reach unreached people in the world. So we steal and embezzle more money as an American church than we give to uh, lost people who need to hear the gospel. So it, it's a pretty harsh reality, reality. It's tragic. And honestly, we just need to lament as people over, um, over these atrocities and these abuses. Um, but, and here, here's the thing. Jesus warns you. He warns you. If you are abusing his household and not stewarding it well, you will be held to account for your behavior. If you are abusing his household, be prepared for a conflict with God. You will stand before him and you will be held accountable for it. You, this is a harsh and true reality. Um, but on the other hand, I want to address those, those of us who share and who've been abused or hurt by the church. Because as there's a harsh warning, also in, in Christ, in this passage, there's also a beautiful reality of hope. Um, so if you're on the, uh, the receiving or you have been of abused, um, Jesus is offering this hope. And in his return, in our expecting of his return, all things will be set right. He's perfect, he's just, his kingdom reigns in fullness, and we need to hope in that, and that's what our expectation is for. Um, so, as, as a victim of this abuse, you will receive true justice and vindication in his coming. So, as Jesus ushers in his kingdom, redeeming all things, you will be healed, you'll be cared for, and you'll be fully restored. This is the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. So place your hope in Jesus and his kingdom, which will re reign forever and ever. Amen. However, right now, 
we as the people of God, we as Redemption Flagstaff, as a family, as a body of believers, we, we don't just say, okay, you'll be vindicated in the future, just wait. No, we need to be compassionate and, and caring. We need to be a place of healing and, and recognizing people are hurt and, and invite them in and try to care for them well. Um, we need to be a church that's a place of healing and hope. Um, so Redemption Flagstaff, as we center our church on Jesus, let us take on the identity of stewards, giving up control of our lives. Let us be responsible with our time and let us not become stewards who abuse the household of God, but instead let us care for and tend to the people around us. Uh, let me pray. Father God, we thank you that um, you are the center of our lives, Lord God, that through Christ's work on earth through his life, through his death on the cross, Lord, through your power raising him from the dead, Lord God, that we, we have become stewards, Lord God. You, we've become your beloved children, your affections for us, you love us, and you, you give us a responsibility to care for your household, Lord God. Let us take your word, Lord God, and, and think about it and meditate on, on it and pray about it, Lord God. And thank you for loving us. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for uh, just this people, this collection of just gifted individuals, Lord God, and help us to be a light um, to our neighbors. Help us to be the city on the hill. Help us to um, bring peace and redemption to Flagstaff, Lord God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.